0: Hello everyone, and we are back with another episode, episode 10. This episode is going to be focused all around work, knowing our rights, employment. We have one of our ladies from Black Women Rising joining us and a specialist senior solicitor who deals with employment law. So we're very lucky to be able to have both these ladies joining us today. And let me just introduce them. Jennifer, who is a mother of one with an amazing family and friends, she has a good social life, loves fine dining, traveling, fashion, music, art, design, and reading. Wow, you're busy. (laughs) And she came from a design background and changed careers 18 years ago to become a teacher in a special education needs school. She's also a computing lead and absolutely enjoys teaching amazing young people. She was diagnosed with clarinal cell carcinoma, which is known as kidney cancer in May, 2018. And then in December, 2018, she found out she had stage four as that went spread to the lungs. We also have Caroline Oliver, who is a senior solicitor at DID Law, specializing in employment law, with a particular focus on discrimination in the workplace. Most of her clients are employees who have suffered from unlawful discrimination and negative treatment due to their gender, disability, race, age, or long-term health conditions. She has a general interest in employee well-being and mental health in the workplace. Caroline is passionate about her job because work is so central to identity, well-being, and self-esteem and too often there is an imbalance of power between employer and employee creating a great injustice which she enjoys fighting. Great. How are you both ladies? I'm good thank you.
1: I'm good as well. Thank you Charlotte. Thank you for having us.
0: No problem. Thank you for joining us. Okay so we're going to start off with Jenny um, Jenny, can you just introduce yourself and let us know a bit about your journey and where you're up to now?
2: Right. So um, my journey, still an ongoing journey. OK, so as you have said, said in my bio, I was diagnosed with kidney cancer in 2018. And then uh, the latter part of the year, my kid- uh, cancer returned to my lungs While I was diagnosed with kidney cancer, I have been teaching full time as a teacher in my school, at the same school for 18 years now. And, you know, they're a very, very supportive school. So when I did first tell them that I was diagnosed with cancer, they were very, very supportive. And the year that I started my treatment, um, they changed my timetable for me, um, had less commitments as a teacher. And, you know, that made me feel comfortable going to my every other kind of or my two weekly um, appointments at the hospital to get my treatment as well. Yeah. So, you know, they were very, very supportive in the first year of my my treatment and my diagnosis. Then, uh, obviously, COVID kicked in. I was actually meant to be returning back to school in my role as a class teacher, tutor, stroke coordinator of computing. Um, However, that was not possible with the fact that, you know, I was clinically extremely vulnerable. And that was at the time, right at the beginning in September, where, you know, people like myself weren't protected. Yeah. That was when uh, the conflict started to begin, you know, start with the the fact that um, they felt that I needed to be physically in school. And that's when they became less supportive of me working from home. Okay. And
0: yeah. What point was it that you decided, like throughout your dream and everything you're gone through, when did you decide it was right for you to kind of go back to work?
2: So I had 2018 when I had the surgery for the kidneys to be removed. That was in May. And then I went back to work in the September but I did go back too soon, to be honest with you. So um, near the end of the year, I ended off, because to be honest with you, when I was diagnosed, it was very, very, uh, it wasn't expected. It was by chance. So I found out and was told that I had four weeks and the kidney had to be removed. So I didn't have a lot of time to digest this. So I was still going to work, Despite the fact that I'd been told that I'd been diagnosed with kidney cancer, and it was possibly, I think it was two days before my surgery, I actually sort of stops, You know, I stopped and I thought to myself, hang on a minute, what am I doing? You know, I'm having major surgery here and I'm still, yeah. I have not prepared myself and sort of really kind of, you know, digested what this procedure was going to be like. It was going to be, you know, a, a very big surgery. So, um, that's what I did. So basically I took two days off before surgery, but then I did go back to school too soon. And I think it's just, as a teacher, you feel so devoted to the children, you know, and you sort of, you do feel guilty all the time. Even when you're off sick for one day, you feel very guilty that you need to be there. And that was my mindset, despite the fact that I had stayed, you know, I had this, this surgery. Anyway, um, when I was diagnosed with the secondary um, diagnosis of uh, where the cancer returned to my lungs. And I sort of said, look, you know, I don't think I can do this this role fully committed because I'll be in and out of hospital and it's going to distract, you know, the teaching of the young people. So basically they were very accommodating in that. And um, so, yeah, that's about it. So, like I said, the... Covid set in so 2020 in September I did not return back to work and that's when things started to get a bit tricky with regards to my position and what they expected of me and the fact that they didn't like or didn't feel that the kids were or the students were um, getting their full education or te- you know, yeah, for me, for me working from home, basically, they felt that I physically needed to be there for the fact that it was a special school. But then at the same time, I knew that if I, you know, went into school, as my consultant said, if I caught COVID, that's it for me. Basically, I will die and resuscitate me. I fell into that category. So um, luckily, the government kicked in and they basically had letters for those that were clinically extremely vulnerable. And that's when work kind of backed off a bit. But during that time, I felt under so much pressure trying to sort of keep things normal. You know, I was working very hard, um, teaching online. I was actually leading all the online um, platforms that the kids were going to be accessing their lessons with. So I was training staff. I was training the parents. I was teaching the students how to use this platform. I was heavily involved. They were actually relying on me. I also did like, you know, videos, tutorials for them. Lots of, it was just, you know, I was in there. I was working triple the amount of, um, you know, I was putting so much into to my work, basically. And um but they basically were just saying that no, you need to be in work and that they you know, how can you assess the kids from home? And you know, they you need to be there physically. And you know, I didn't even have any observations. No one observed my lessons. They they came up with all these things as to why, you know, that I need to be in work. And basically the first thing that they said was, I'm costing them too much money. Oh gosh. And It really, you know, 18 years of employment, I've put my all into this school. Yeah. for to be told, and I know they're following procedures, I understand that, but I felt that the way that they carried out this um, meeting was it was like, you know, oh, Jenny, you know, you've been working at the school for X amount of years, you're a valid, you know, employee. And, you know, they did that whole thing. But then they said, but this is how much you're costing us. And they actually said the figure. So it was what I was earning, as well as the teacher that was covering me. And, you know, my union rep was like, and he was absolutely shocked. He said, you know, I don't think that this was relevant. I don't feel that you should have actually, you shouldn't have put a figure on it. Yeah. For me, that really, really impacted on my emotional well-being. I was so upset because... It made me realize that, and I know it's like that for every job, we're just treat it's just all about money. Yeah. Money. We're just a number. And that, you know, I can go back to work, I can catch COVID, I can die. Oh, they'll replace me. And I won't be costing them so much. Those were the things that were going through every day, every night. You know, I'm I I was, you know, sleepless nights, worrying, but still trying to carry on teaching as normal online and, you know, doing the best that I could with resources and everything like that. It was hard because at the same time, work are very supportive. So there was just a clash. It was a clash and it was hard on them. You know, I've got an amazing relationship with my colleagues, but at the same time, it was the principle they were looking at it as a business. They couldn't, they had to detach themselves on an emotional, um, you know, level. So it was just, you know, it would be, it was just really, really hard because it's like, Jenny, we're, you know, we're here to support you, but at the same time, you're costing us X amount. So, what they originally wanted to do was to cut my hours to two days a week and change my role and work as the ed tech, the ed educational technologist, which I was doing. And they wanted me to do this for two years. You know, I just, I thought, But why are you taking away my income? You know, I still have bills to pay. I still have to support my daughter who's at university. Yeah. Do you think it's going to, you know, two days? Why why am I getting paid two days when I've been teaching online five days a week, putting my all in as, as a teacher, just not basically physically being there. And you want to take that away from me, that normality away from me. You know, it felt as though I wasn't worthy and that they didn't want me anymore and that they'd given up on me. And I knew that wasn't the case, but it was just, again, it was just all about the money and how much I was costing them and that they were in deficit and that they could no longer feel that they can support me. So that's how it was for me last year. It was very, very hard. Um, I think they've realised how much input I have, put into my role as uh, the educational technologist, as the computing lead. Um, I'm also actually redesigning their website. So, you know, I've been doing so much as well as teaching. I've come to realise that... Um, You're an asset. I Yeah, that I am worthy of what, you know, they, they're not giving me the hassle that they did before. I do have to go back to work. I do, they do want to see me back to work. Do you feel ready to go back? No, no. Personally, no. I was meant to go back the 24th of May. My head teacher, you know, she's been looking at the strain, you know, obviously we've got the the Indian strain now. And because of the borough that I work in, some of the students come from the boroughs where it has been detected. So she's now looking at things medically. She's not focusing on the government and what the government says. So she has been really supportive and she's saying, right, okay, you know we're looking at you possibly now coming back the 25th or around the 25th or 23rd of this month is when they're looking for me to possibly come back but again they're still looking at the dynamics of the strain and 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 yeah and the cases so i am anxious i don't feel safe to be honest with you i have not been out you know the only time that i go out is for hospital visits and I've you know I've not been out in the community as such and I know that I've had my vaccine both my vaccines and I need to now start taking baby steps but I am anxious because I'm in a workplace where young people are um, you know can carry it but not obviously that you know the asymptomatic and I'm yeah. very scared of that I am very scared I'm not gonna lie it's it's impacted on my my sleeping at night and, um, my anxieties. And I've, I've stressed this I've I've actually expressed this to, um, uh, my head teacher. So that's it at the moment. Yes. My anxieties are there. I, I just don't know what to do, to be honest with you. Um, I want to go back to work. I want to go back to normality. Uh, I want to go back out in the community and do all the things that I enjoy, but at the same time, I'm very, very scared because as you know, you know i can still get covid and i have had a near death experience where i did have pneumonia so i know what it's like to be hospitalized and to be in you know the high dependency unit and and everything and i just don't want to be in that place again so yeah i'm presently at the moment working online they have been supportive but at the back of my mind i'm still costing them too much money So I don't know what is going to happen. I don't
0: know. Okay. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, you being a school teacher, I really would have thought like maybe they could have pushed it to like September because I know there's end of term, isn't it, in July? That's right, yes. Maybe because that would have only been an extra month compared to like whether we need to go back at the end of this month. And then you'd have the break of the holidays and kind of reassessing September it's a real shame that that can't be done you know
2: I, I agree with you that was in my mindset as well um I didn't sort of say that to my um head teacher but in my head I was thinking this would be a good time for me to start going back out into the community over the yeah. days just you know get my anxieties you know you know just baby steps to be honest with you um, and, you know, just knowing what what are they expecting of me when I do go back, you know, because at the moment, you know, they expect me to go to all the different classes to teach because that means I'm mixing bubbles. It's I don't want to physically be near the kids, you know, but I know that being special needs, they love to hug you. They want me to come back. They, they, they're they missing me. Um,
0: yeah.
2: You know that they're very, very tactile in that respect. So. I know that my risk is very high, but at the same time, you know, it's my livelihood. Yeah, so I really just don't. You know, what do I do next? What What is best for me?
0: Okay.
2: For the young people, what is best for the school?
0: Yeah. Okay, Caroline. Um, listening to what Jenny said, do you think there's anything maybe that she could look into or anything like that that could help with this?
1: I mean, yes, hopefully. I mean, first of all, Jenny, you know, thank you for sharing your story. You know, unfortunately, you know, we hear of some, quite a lot of similar stories at Didlaw. Your case, you know, is a real example of how in a long-term employment relationship, we have the ups and downs. Your commitment and passion to this job clearly showed through. Um, You know, you love your job, the children, you know, you hated even being out a day and after 18 years of sort of going the extra mile this is your time where you need a little bit of support at first they were supportive as you say and then things got very difficult which is such a shame with a long-term employment relationship you know you also talk about which is, is common as well and particularly in your case it's not always just the physical health on its own it has a huge impact on mental health And well-being, you know, you talked about anxiety and sleepless nights, and that's has this vicious circle effect on physical health and mental health. It sounds like they've done some of the things right, but I don't know the extent to which which they have. They should be getting regular occupational health assessments at the moment. You know, it's not one condition, then x weeks later everything's absolutely fine, and you know, you go back to work. It's a bit of an evolving process with, you know, diagnosis, treatment, recovery, and and, you know, you probably don't yet know what the next weeks and months hold in terms of when you're going to feel well enough. You've also had COVID thrown in the mix, which is salt in the wounds and complicates everything. And you, you know, you then fell into the clinically extremely vulnerable category, which has complicated things. But regular occupational health assessments to assess how you are and how you can return if and when safely to a working environment should be there. And as part of that, the report should focus on the reasonable adjustments you require at work, whether that's at work or working from home, whether that's, you know, location or your hours you can do, phased return, any other support and measures at work Um, such as your location at work, you know, maybe at some point it will be safe for you to go into the school environment, but not in the middle of 30 children. Um, this should all be assessed. Consultation is also absolutely key. It's not a case of getting the report and back to work. It's getting the report, checking you're happy with it, checking it's representative of how you feel, um, and then having consultations with your employer, about how that can be implemented in terms of a return phased return support or consideration of alternative roles so some of that has been put in place you've done alternative roles you know you've got you know transferable skill set there that you've utilized but you know other support as well i don't know the extent to which you flagged to them the, the mental health element as well i mean they should be looking at that too and you know the first obligation of any employer is to ensure the health and safety of their employees. Um, and it goes over and beyond that which is in a report, actually. Obviously, they have knowledge of your cancer, which is regarded as a disability, which gives you automatic protections under the Equality Act, but they all should also be looking over and above that. And sometimes employers don't know about everything, but they they have some knowledge or indications that other things may be wrong and they really need to be supporting that as well you know your confidence stress anxiety all needs to be supported and mm-hmm. obviously covid is an ever changing beast for us all one minute we think we're coming out of it the next minute things look like they're going to change you know i believe the clinically extremely vulnerable list i think it was the beginning of april that got lifted but that doesn't mean you're ready to go back to work at, you know absolutely not i mean this is absolutely you know it couldn't be more crucial, you know, your treatment, your exposure, your vulnerability to COVID in a school environment is absolutely crucial. In the meantime, I, I don't know, I don't are you in an academy or a local authority school, Jenny? Lo-
2: local authority. Okay.
1: okay. So that that obviously then you've got the school, you've got um the head, the senior leadership team and board of governors, and there's sort of decision making sort of framework there. And then you've got the local authority as well there's kind of HR there. So there's sort of different dimensions to consider here. And then that you'll have sickness pay provisions as part of your contract as well, and and then other considerations there. So it it is very difficult. There's no perfect answer here of your rights, but they Mm -hmm. have a duty to make reasonable adjustments. They also have a duty not to discriminate or treat you unfavourably or less favourably because of or connected to your disability. But they also, they mustn't harass you because of a reason relating to your disability. Now, when you mentioned the meeting, when they quoted figures to you, um, in consideration of your fear to your health and life, I mean, that is potentially harassment. Um, Harassment can be all all sorts of things. Essentially, it's Mm. unwanted conduct related to your disability, the cancer, and um, that has, uh, has the purpose or effect of violating your dignity or creating an intimidating, hostile, degrading, humiliating or offensive environment. Um, it's not just someone standing shouting. It could be a, a, a comment and it can actually be being undermined and sidelined as well or ostracised. So harassment can form different, you know, lots of different examples There. So, you know, potentially there's sort of harassment in there as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of what you could do next, is ensure or request regular, up to date occupational health assessments. Try and ensure they're consulting with you regularly. If you feel you're still, you know, hitting a brick wall, not being listened to, not being understood or supported, there will be a grievance procedure at work. Um, And you have the right to submit a formal grievance, which then needs to be dealt with in accordance with that procedure. Um, I appreciate you've been there a long time. You've got excellent relationships with people. Um, That is your right at some stage to consider the grievance procedure. You know, hopefully it wouldn't get that far. um, But if you have to, you know, you've got Trade Union who who should and may be able to offer support. There's ACAS, that's another free service Service, or obviously there's um, you know, solicitors as well um yeah. who might be able to assist you if you still then consider you're not being supported um, and listened to in the way you should. It, obviously, it's been a difficult time for the school as well. You know, everyone's yeah, you know, scrabbling around, there's lots of different dynamics there, but you know, arguably you've had the hardest time of everybody and you really need and deserve that support.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously I want to go back to work and say I, I do say it, I end up going back to work in September. I, I still worry because this COVID doesn't seem like it's going anywhere anytime soon. And I don't know if I, you know, how much longer will they, you know, like you said, I, you know, I fall under the Dis- Disability Act. And, you know, I don't want to be discriminated by either. You know, my, I'm stage four. My cancer is in, you know, the medical world is not going to get better. It's about managing it, where I know that, you know, a few of the cancer cancer patients that have been working, they'll be off for about a year, but then they go back to normal. And I don't think, you know, in the school environment, they maybe they've not had this before. I don't know. Um, for the 18 years that I've been there, I don't think they've had this situation before. It's always been that you know, the person will have their treatment, they'll get better and everything's back to normal. But for me, I'm actually living with cancer. And I think not just my work environment or my school, but I just think other um, work environments need to really take into consideration people like myself because I am still able to go out there and work. I, I can at this moment in time. Yes, I do have side effects, but it's manageable. But it's like how, you know, you feel that, how long are they going to be patient with me? Because at the moment it just feels like a roller coaster with me at work. It was like, yes, we're going to support you. No, you know, you're costing us too much money. Yes, you're going to support me. And I, I just want stability. That's what I want, to be honest with you. Because, you know, I'm having this roller coaster with regards to my health as well as my workplace. And I, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, and it can get quite mind-blowing. For a person like me in my situation mm-hmm. yeah I mean they want to phase me you know they 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 are listening because I did say you know will I be phased in I've not spoken to the occupational health nothing has sort of taken place for about a year or so now to be honest with you so that's something which you've highlighted that maybe um yeah. make an appointment with with, with my occupational health
1: Absolutely. Uh, and yes. that's two-way dialogue it's not just about the medical profession, you telling you what and when you can do. Um, You know, phase phased returns can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. But apart from anything else, going back to work full-time is exhausting for anyone after a period of absence. You know, so we, you know, we're looking at building up the hours and then the confidence and not to the self-esteem as well. When you when anyone's had a period of time off, that's key. And you know, as I say, it's it's not a case of in September you're going to be absolutely fine and you know it's going to be an evolving process in the months or years ahead, and you may be well enough to do certain roles at certain points and be supported. Yeah. At some point, you, you may have another you know, period of long-term sick. How your employers treat you then may or may not give rise to a discrimination claim or an unfair dismissal claim. Right. Uh, so it's probably a case of crossing that bridge you know, at that time and considering your rights mm-hmm. and options and steps Yes. Um, your employers need to manage any long-term sickness appropriately, fairly. Um, at some point, I'm, I'm imagining you're under the local government pension scheme.
2: Yes, I am. Um,
1: so at some point, you know, some, it may be appropriate for you to enter into ill, Ill health retirement and um, right. achieve an income through that. And that's subject to the, the um, eligibility in terms of the scheme. But, you know, that can obviously provide an income um, depending on eligibility. There's different tiers for the right. pension So that, that may become an option at some, some stage. But how your employers tread through this it is crucial to have your rights supported and not to be infringed, not to suffer from harassment. They need to make reasonable adjustment. I mean, their duty for reasonable adjustment isn't absolute. Um, an employer doesn't have to do absolutely everything physically possible regardless of cost but it has to be reasonable the local authority are a large employer yeah. um you've been at the school a long time yes you know, it, needs, it needs to be very reasonable but you know it does sound like a good consultation and as I say it's a two-way process with occupational health could be a next sensible step and then with that report when and if you're happy with it it, it leads to a basis for proper consultations with your school um, possibly with union support as well. It sounds like
0: you've got a supportive rep there. Yes, yes. Oh, well, thank you so much for all this information as well. So I'm sure some of my listeners are definitely they're gonna. This is also gonna help them as well. So thank you for all of that, Caroline. And I hope you really got something on that too, Jenny.
2: Thank you very much for you. Thank you for having me, Charlotte and Caroline. Thank you very much. You're for welcome. The, Jenny. You've just given me that's just, all the best uplifting thank you so much no problem so next
0: we've got a scenario from one of our ladies that I'm going to read out and Caroline if you have any tips you can just give them so the scenario is I've been off sick during the pandemic and also I've been trying to go back to work during the pandemic oncologist said I can do a phase return had to chase the workplace for a return to work interview. Eventually, I had the interview. They said due to the pandemic, work is quiet. but they'll speak with the boss and get back to me. This was at the beginning of the year. I've sent email after email requesting feedback and a follow up. I we the outcome of the meeting. Still not heard nothing. It's been months with no reply. My question now is, is it time for a tribunal? And is this covered by the Disability Act warmer rights?
1: Right. I mean, this is, you know, another very interesting and sadly all too familiar um, sort of scenario here. I mean, this member um, or listener, again, will have an automatic protections under the Equality Act because they have a disability. Yeah. Um, Because they automatically meet that definition. Um, I'm assuming the employer has knowledge of that. So the employer has obligations not to discriminate, to make reasonable adjustment, not to harass or not to treat unfavorably for a reason directly or or indirectly connected to the disability. I mean, this employee has had to do all the chasing, which immediately stands out as, you know, not smelling right at all. Sounds like they could ready for a phased return. Ideally, an occupational health report will be in place to talk about the reasonable adjustments. And then the employer should be proactively encouraging the consultation, having the dialogue to discuss that, how and when they can return, you know, the hours, the location, the type of work, perhaps alternative roles. And, and this employee is obviously banging their head against a brick wall here and getting very frustrated. So there's definitely a prima facie case here for discrimination. Of course, we need to look at what's happening behind the scenes. For example, let's say it was a shop that had just gone under and no one was there at all. Potentially, then, the reason for the negative treatment doesn't relate to the cancer. I'm just looking at a potential example where there may not be a case because every employee is is being treated badly. So it could be that every employee is being treated the same. So any comparators without the disability, are being treated badly as well. But but let's assume that they're still there. I mean, there, there is some um, communication here. They said it's been quiet, but OK, it's been quiet, but is this person being treated differently to everyone else or mm-hmm. is everyone else back at work? And actually, it's just convenient to sort of sweep this person aside yeah. um, and ignore them for now. So, yes, they potentially um, got a claim here for discrimination. It doesn't sound right. The other question I have would be pay. They might be on sick pay. They may have some company sick pay, full pay, half pay. It might be statutory sick pay, which kicks in for 28 weeks. They may be down to zero pay. So, you know, what's happening about pay um, and compared to the other colleagues? It could be that furlough pay could become appropriate, but, you know, again, only if they're not being discriminated against. So that's something pretty important there as well. But I would certainly say the lack of communications, the unwillingness to make reasonable adjustment and consult, the perception that I'm gathering that, that this person is being treated differently from other employees, definitely jumps out to me that this person has, has a claim. Now, the grievance procedure is the next potential option. Every employer should have a grievance policy. So potentially requesting that, it might be in the staff handbook, it might be in the contract, it might be in the internet. But as if this employee is off sick, they, you know, they might be disconnected, but they could request a copy and they could lodge a formal grievance. Now, I appreciate that lodging a formal grievance, it, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward. So I'm not saying it's the answer for everybody. You know, it, it can be extremely stressful pursuing that. But, you know, it could be that this person could um, seek advice from a friend, a union member, a lawyer or a ACAS to help guide them through this. So potentially there's claims there. And then, you know, the next question was, you know, is it time for the tribunal now? What are my rights? There's definitely a potential claim here for disability discrimination, potentially a claim here for unfair dismissal or constructive dismissal. Okay. When an, an employer effectively forces you to resign by sort of breaching your contract, I think just basic communication here, you know, it's been breached. I mean, I think potentially this employee would be entitled to resign and claim constructive dismissal. I'm certainly not advising to resign. That does require a bit of exploration and ideally for some advice. But potentially, that may become a sort of scenario at some point. Now, one of the things to look at here is, and this does get a bit complicated, but an employee has three months, so just three months, to bring a claim to the employment tribunal. Now, that is from either the dismissal date, the end date, or from the date of the act complained of. Now, there's not often just one date. Here, it sounds like the employer's still not engaging. So, actually, the discrimination is probably continuing today. But it's just good to be mindful of that three months. Yeah. But actually, what you need to do within that three months is um, lodge a process with ACAS, So ACAS, the um, Advisory Conciliation and Arbitration Service, and that extends your time. But it it is a bit complicated to go into too much detail on time limits now. It's actually very complicated. Um, Just kind of to bear in mind the three months. But I would say potentially in this case, the discrimination or the poor treatment is still live now. Um, But I think seeking advice soon and support could be ideal. And of course, when some people... Some people, when they're on long-term sick with a disability, with cancer, it's not one-size-fits-all. Some people can continue to work 100% for a period. Sometimes they need to be off for a while. Some go back, some don't. Some dip in and out of work, depending on what stage of the you know illness and treatment you're at. But ideally, most employees want to be supported with those ups and downs. But at some point, people might just feel you know, I've just lost complete faith in my employer or realistically I'm not going to be able to go back, um, in which case that could be the time to get some advice. It could be that a settlement could be reached without having to go to the tribunal. So a settlement to agree the terms to leave, financial compensation and, and other sort of terms and conditions to protect people. It could be that there's some pay there. Income protection support through insurance, ill health retirement. There could be lots of potential options. And I don't know if it will be relevant to this one, but the other thing to bear in mind is the the general position is that even if someone's been often long-term sick for a long time, they're still entitled to be paid for their notice. And as a minimum, that's going to be a week for each year worked, and other people will have longer notice periods. And also during long-term sick, people are accruing annual leave. So let's say someone gets 25 annual leave days a year and you're off for two years. At some point, they will be paid for 50 days because they've accrued that right. They've accrued that pay.
0: Okay.
1: Leave. So that's something else to bear in mind. So I hope, I'm not saying that's one perfect answer for this scenario, but hopefully there's some ideas in there of what rights and options may exist.
0: Great, thank you so much. And we just have like three um, questions that we can squeeze them in. Um, the first one is, what are my rights following long-term sickness with regards to redundancy and restructure?
1: Yes, and this is an interesting one. Um, employers do face redundancy situations and they are entitled to restructure. As long as it's a genuine redundancy situation, not one of these situations where we want to get rid of so-and-so, let's call it a redundancy. It has to be genuine. So there's definitions for that. It has to be closure of the business or a downturn in business or a team departing, something like that. It really has to meet that definition, first of all. Employers are entitled to go through a redundancy process. They have obligations and processes to go through. They need to inform and consult everybody. Um, they need to consider the selection pool of people potentially at risk. So that may include someone who's been on long-term sick with cancer yeah. or who's currently in work, you know, maybe struggling with cancer. So yeah. that person could be in the selection pool and that would be, you know, right and sort of permitted. But then they need to fairly select people for redundancy. So you may have a team of 10 and they need to reduce headcount to eight. Um, what they need to do then is have selection criteria and, and fairly select people. Now, if anything comes in there in that selection criteria that's looking at attendance, sickness, ability to perform the role, um, and that can relate to the cancer, that could be discriminatory. So, yes, possibly someone could be made redundant whilst very sick with cancer or on long-term sick leave, but they may also have rights and the manner in which that's conducted with a redundancy or a restructure will, will be important. So rights are there. And if I think if in doubt, to seek advice.
0: OK, thank you. The second question is, can my employers dismiss me because of my illness?
1: So can an employer dismiss because of an, an illness at some point if there's a long term sickness absence? Yes, they can, depending on certain situations. They certainly can't when somebody announces they have an illness or certainly not a disability like cancer. It would come under, it would only be a fair dismissal after a number of things happened. So first of all, it would have to be a a long term. Secondly, they would have to engage occupational health to look at how the employee is and when they're likely to return. Thirdly, they would need to consult with the employee. It's very case sensitive. It's not a case of you've been off six months so we can dismiss or you've been off 10 minutes and we can't. It's very case sensitive. But it's much more about when they're likely to return than how long they've been off already. So it comes down to whether an employer can be expected to wait long and how much longer. Um, And that actually depends as well. If it's a tiny organisation and they're really struggling, they may not be expected to wait as long as a larger organisation who has, you know, more money and resources. Discussing with the employee is key. Um, Providing reasonable adjustments, phased returns and all the rest of it. Um, So there'll be a lot of protections in there. It's definitely not something that's going to happen overnight this week or next week. But, you know, let's say many months have gone by or years. The employee is very unlikely to return in the near future They've consulted, they've gotten the medical evidence at some point possibly. But there's a there's a lot of steps for the employer to take to do that reasonably. Um, so, and a lot of protections for the employee in place. And again, any concern there, the individual's advice to get some advice.
0: Thank you. And the third question is, does my employer have to make reasonable adjustments when I return to work after illness?
1: So the, I mean, the question here: Does my employer have to make reasonable adjustments when I return after illness? Um, the obligation of an employer to make reasonable adjustment only applies to a disability. Um, okay. So, um, but cancer is a disability. So okay. let, let's assume it's somebody with cancer, or, or and or another type of disability. Yes, is the answer. They need to make reasonable efforts. Again, the occupational health report. And that that expert should consider the occupational setting, the work, the type of work, the demands, the layout, the ventilation for COVID um, and the role and suggest support and reasonable adjustments. That may be a phased return to work. It may be reduced hours. It may be working from home. It might be equipment, you know, special equipment or aids, maybe a case of assessing regularly. Um, and, you know, coming back and exploring um, ideally having a mentor, you know, someone who that person could just call and say, I'm having a really rubbish day. And, you know, can we talk about this? Because, you know, going back to work, it's not week one's a bit difficult, week two's better. And then by week six, everything's absolutely wonderful again. It could sort of go up or down. Yeah. Um, so it, it's about you know that obligation is ongoing and the employer should check in. Many employers don't. You know, they tick the box with the occupational health report, you know, pay some attention in week one and then assuming everything's fine. And then, you know, the employee starts to struggle, feels under pressure, potentially underperforms. You know, of of course, if all of us, if we're not feeling well mentally or physically, you know, we have a bad day. We, you know, we drop a ball, we make a mistake and, uh, you know, and that causes all sorts of upset. And then your boss is on your back telling you, you you know. Um, underperformed and you know it's extremely upsetting but it's very much an ongoing um support so so yes anyone returning to work you know whether permanently or short term and then going off again for treatment certainly needs the reasonable adjustment and a a professional should be helping both parties the employer and employee discuss what those support measures should be
0: ah great thank you so much this has been really helpful i know a lot of our listeners who do struggle with going back to work and employment and stuff are really gonna find benefit from everything that's been said today. And okay. I just want to also point out anyone who is self-employed, and um, there are benefits and stuff if you go to the job center that you can maybe be eligible for. There's also PIP, which is personal independent payment for if you have a disability. And that you can be working as a matter you're earning, you're still eligible for PIP if you are considered to have a disability. And yeah, like I'm so grateful for you both coming on the show. How can people get in contact with you?
1: Well, I mean the Didlaw website, didlaw.com, and um, it's probably the you know the easiest way. Um and you can drop us an email or phone call that way. Um, and we'd be delighted to hear. So that's D I D L A W. And the other thing, just quickly to mention, is that there are protections in employment law as well for carers. So any family members caring for somebody with a disability or cancer, just just to be mindful, and it may be worth bearing that in mind.
0: Oh, thank you. That's definitely be helpful. And Jenny, where can people find you?
2: You can get me on Instagram at I Can Aspire to so yeah they can get me by that
0: great lovely well ladies it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for coming on really appreciate it
1: thank you charlie thank you
0: thank you for having me have a lovely day bye Thank thank you